Welcome to the Variety Hour on AM 990, where local leaders talk Memphis. Listen to you, move your mouth. I bet you come from way down south. Now don't tell me, let me guess. You from the town that I love best. Talk Memphis, I wish you would. Talk Memphis, you sound so good. Talk Memphis, high on the bluff. I swear I can't get enough. Listening to you talk that stuff. Talk Memphis. Welcome to Talk Money on AM 990. And now here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. And good morning. It's Friday morning and welcome to Talk Money. I'm Jim Shoemaker and got with me this morning in the studio, Mac Jenkins. And we've got a program lined up just to go through some fundamentals. We're going to talk in the second half about uh, retirement and some of the questions that people ask and how to think through retirement. Tal Goals will be with us on that. Uh, he, we've got him, uh, we hope, coming in from Nashville uh, he's on his way, and uh, we'll kind of work with him there. I know he's, you know, driving and, you know. Traffic, traffic. Traffic, yeah. Tra- speaking of traffic. I hope he's not coming down Germantown Parkway. <laughs> speaking of traffic, well, you know, that's a, that's a thing, this texting problem. Uh, you know, that is something you see a lot today. I saw something the other day on Germantown Parkway. You're thinking about that. Um, uh, All-white F-150 pickup truck just looks like anybody's F-150 Ford except for one additional piece of equipment that I had noticed because it was pulled off on the side of the road, and it had somebody else pulled off, and it was lit up like blue you wouldn't believe. Flashers. Yeah, yeah, all over the place. And uh, from what I found out later, not what he was doing, but I just asked a policeman, and, uh, you know, he said that they were looking for people that had a tendency to text or drive you know, while they're driving, and that's a no-no in the state of Tennessee. Absolutely. 14 states, Jim, pro- prohibit all cell phone use uh, of hel- handheld phones. And fortunately, we're not one of those. We can still talk on the phone, but we cannot but we, text. We cannot text. That's correct. Yeah. So that's something for the thinking about. You know, we had the funeral yesterday <clears throat> in the city. And I tell you, I, I know we posted on Facebook, uh, Emily's son. Correct. Showing respect as the blue, you know, that. And I, I was touched by that picture. I was touched by the message of teaching a child to respect and and what we do as far as our policemen are concerned. I was uh, I got to watch most of it yesterday on the television, and in reality, it was a very touching, uh, great honor for this individual. But we don't honor our policemen enough. No, not at all. And our, not fire, at all. our first uh, defenders, you know, our first defense defenders that come out, they're the ones that really deserve and we should honor them in everything we do absolutely to see the sea of blue was was just amazing it was and i I think that is so important you know you talk about we're going to talk about money because that's reality what we're here for and one of the things that i guess i want to talk about is the best year so far what's been the best you know we talk about volatility all the time and uh reality is when you think about what's the best performing stock in the s&p 5 for the first seven months of this year it's up 134%. That's some research that we've done. Correct. Best it's up. Now, the same stock that's up 134% this year lost 7.2% last year and ranked 430 of the S&P 500. So 430th last year, it's the number one. So that talks about volatility, you know, from that standpoint. Absolutely. It also, also, even, even good stocks... Don't have great years. Okay, exactly. That's a good point. In fact, the second one is performing individual stock that was during calendar year that gained the most in 2014 is up how much? It's actually down. 
Well, last year. Now, last oh, year. Oh, last, last year. year last it was year. Up 124. 124 last, last year. year. What's it down? It now? is down 14 and a half this, this year. year. So, what do we try to tell everybody? You never know. You never know. Don't don't go out here and pick last year's best because you're probably going to be wrong. Don't pick this year's best because you're probably going to be wrong for next year. The key is volatility is your friend. The market goes up. And the market goes down. Stay with us, because when we come back, we are going to be talking with David Rochester and really talking about running a business so that when you get ready to kind of sell the business, you know what you're doing. And David's got some great insights from that. We're going to go through that process with him. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. You're listening to Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. Podcasts of the Talk Money program are available for iOS mobile devices. Go to the iTunes store and search for Shoemaker Financial. Talk Money will return right after this. Have you thought about pursuing a career in financial services but have no experience in the industry and need training? If you are goal-oriented, highly motivated, and enjoy working with people, you have the skill set Shoemaker Financial is looking for. Shoemaker Financial is continuing to grow their team of financial advisors in the Mid-South, and they're ready with the training and tools you need to get started. With over 35 years of providing professional advice, quality products, and excellent service in the Mid-South, you too can now be a part of their growing firm. If you're interested in learning more about this opportunity, contact Contact Haley Kemp at 901-757-5757 or email at hkemp at shoemakerfinancial.com. Financial advisors do not provide specific tax legal advice, and this information should not be considered as such. You should always consult your tax legal advisor regarding your own specific tax legal situation. And welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker along with Mac Jenkins this morning, and we are talking with David Rochester. David, welcome to the program, sir. Good morning, Jim. Thank you for having me. You know, one of the things, David, you do in your practice, David's one of our senior advisors, and he consults with business people a lot, business owners. And, David, you're always talking to people about how they work with their employees, how they work with their partners, and all the process of going through that. But give me some insight of what you see when you talk to people. What are one of the biggest issues they have when they're thinking about the whole idea of running their company, building their business? What is What kind of hangs over that cloud kind of mindset? Well, Jim, first of all, you know, more and more business owners are preparing for that point where they're going to exit the business, sell out, go into that glorious retirement we're going to talk more about later and just live a long lifespan. But it has to do with gearing their management team up so that they're ready to sell. Mm. Um, and how is the business owner going to get top dollar for his business? As we've talked about before, he he shouldn't just walk in and turn over the keys and say, I'm gone, guys. So what you're saying is kind of one of the things is he has to do some very strong transitioning and planning and the whole idea behind that. So help me with this then. So if the business owner is thinking that's the cloud that kind of hangs over his head, he knows he's got to do it. But they delay. They don't. They put it off. Why is that? Why? Why? I don't want to call it procrastination. Why do you think they just? Jim, simplicity. I think it's hard to let go. You, I look at it in terms of routine. We get used to doing the same thing, particularly those that started the business. They've been doing it for a long time, and yeah. so they're into that, and that's their security. And and to make the transition to a different stage in life is is a whole psychological. Yeah, you're issue. right there, David. I guess you know, Mac. We think about this a lot of times in the office, even with our, even our senior advisors like David and some of the other guys. And I know we know a lot of guys in our industry that that get this mindset, false as it is, that nobody can do it as good as they can. Well, I, I think even even as important as that, it's not going to be done the way they do it. Exactly. 
Exactly. And so a, a lot of business owners that, that we've talked to, and we see this in the industry, they want it done the same way that they've always done it. And that's just not going to be the case. Right. Not at all. Well, that's what we want to talk about. So, David, why do some businesses, let's just ask this question, you know, have buyers that are, you know, really excited about buying a business, and you've got some businesses that they couldn't find somebody to buy the business that they were trying. That's right. We see that in this area, Jim. Right. It's, it's like some have, they're lined up at the door, they're ready right. to write a check. Right. Uh, the others, they, they may wait months or years before they get somebody ready to buy. So and what's quite, the difference? Well, Why? good point. I, from the buyer's perspective, and I just want to talk about that, it's like our business. It's perception of risk and return. Uh, you know, you're talking about the some of these stocks that have done well, not so well in the past year or two. And it's easy for a buyer, whether it's in the investment market or buying a business, to, per, to perceive based on what they see from the outside. It's the the seller's job to convey or, quote, prom, promote the selling of that business through disclosure and to have it attractive. And we'll talk about some of those attractive features that make that business more valuable in the well, selling you, process. You mentioned one earlier, the management team, a very yes. capable management team. Walk me through what you mean by that. Sure. Uh, you know, and, and that's a great point. I think two two key things, capable management team, but just having highly efficient businesses, and we, we want to talk about that as well. But when we look at capable management team, what is it they you're looking for them to do? Well, they need to be strong. They need to have worked together for a while. Uh, as As an owner, you don't want to, uh, have new uh, management that's just walked in and now you're looking to sell. So we need a track record. Uh, they need to be able to motivate their employees, to motivate those folks who are out there promoting that company. Uh, they need to know the numbers. They need to know how to continue to to keep that business strong. And they need to be able to support the ongoing strength of the reputation of the company under the new ownership. You know, something we were talking about recently, Mac, we uh, were actually in a whole series of thinking with this talking to some people about the passing of the baton and the fact that when you think about that, it's the the idea, you know, remember running the old relay race in yeah, high school or college? And, you know, I was a speedster. You know, I, I you know, it's, it's, I ran the... I had that same problem. I didn't run the first leg or the last leg. What does that tell you? You were the bootleg. <laughs> I was the middle guy, you know. Hey, if you could just get around the track, you were you were doing a good job. The fast guy started and the fast guy ended. It's the middle guys that you got to say, okay, we'll figure out what we could use you for. That's right. But you had to pass the baton. You had Correct. to... And, you know, you think about it. I remember the coach and, and, and talk about this. And I guess, David, this is what you're saying. You had to have the ability to be running as hard as you can run and make a good pass to the guy in front of you, but he had to be running as hard as he could. You couldn't, you know, if you if you run and stop and hand it, that's a huge mistake, and you didn't win very many relay races if that was the passing thought process. Well, that's a great point, Jim, and, and back to, to yours or Max's point is no two runners are exactly the same. No. They're going to run a different style, a different way, which one do you think is the fastest between Mac and myself? You know, Jim, Don't I, even go there. I'm going to be politically correct and say it would be difficult to tell. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I can tell you. I already know that answer. But but the point is we both have to be running That's uh, when you pass that baton. It's That's right. not, uh, it, you know. And it, I think the second thing, David, you're right on track when you say a strong team. I really think that's critical. And you got to, back to the running analogy, you got to stay in the lanes. Because so many times when you make the transition, as you said, they hand the baton off, and all of a sudden, guess what? 
off goes the that's wrong right. lane, and that you lose the race. That's, well, we call, that's we call it staying power, Jim. Yeah, staying power that that they're not only committed to the processes that have been established, but to the company itself and, and the long term vision of what that company is trying to achieve. And you know, that's something that that you and our management team have done so masterfully. I think with our company is there is a long term vision. And long term, by the way, just like investments that we deal with, is not next week, next month, next year. Right. It's a 10, 20, 30-year vision of right. the future. That's a good point. So staying in the lanes, making a good pass, and, you know, I think those – but, David, you mentioned value drivers earlier. You yeah. said that word, and I, and I want to really make sure we understand that. You talk about a stable, motivated management team, a strong team, you know, that get, brings a higher selling price. What are some other value drivers? Great point. So as a buyer, there's multiple things uh, that they're looking for. Management team is one. Uh, we also mentioned highly efficient business systems. But let's talk about operating systems. When we think about cash flow revenue, are there good tracking and measuring systems that that track that, that measure the success, that measure the growth? And is there a growth? Is there growth going on, or is it become somewhat stale, somewhat maybe even too stable? Is that would you call that complacent? Would you say that maybe that I can see the older if the guy was the founder and he's gotten in his late. 70s or 70s or late 60s or whatever, late 50s, but he's gotten tired of doing it? That's part of it, but I think, you know, it's good point. It's the, well, we've always done it this way, uh-huh. you know, change, but also diversification. You know, it's it's uh, unusual these days, thinking of different types of entities, to have one product line that stays consistently highly um, uh, profitable for a long, long period of time. Diversification is, is relatively necessary these days. Very good and point. the ability to adapt to cha- the changing marketplace. Absolutely, Matt. Great point. You know, a couple other things I, I think you've got to consider also is if there's a facility that this business is based in, if you've got what looks like a very thriving business and the facility looks like it hasn't been updated in 20 years, then that's perception by the buyer that it may not be exactly what it's being promoted as. That's a great point. Okay. That's and good then. Point. Growing. That business should still be growing and continue to grow under new ownership. And that's where that management comes into play. They've got to be able to continue that growth strategy because, you know, those customers, those vendors may not know this new owner as well as they did the past owner of the 20 or 30 years it's been in business. All right. And then finally, I think we've got to say is a buyer is going to look for a good, solid and growing cash flow. So those are value drivers that a buyer, among many others, but uh, at first perception are looking for. David, you talked a little bit about uh, the management team and, and having a solid management team as, you're, as the business owner is getting ready to step away from the business and how that transition works. Tell us a little bit about what a buyer looks for in a good functioning management Great team. Great point. Well, it's what we call a, a championship team. That's what the buyer is looking for. And in that case, you know, they're looking for a team that has a variety of skills, uh, you think about small business uh, business a lot of times, the relationships with both the customers and the vendors is based on the owner or one or two owners. The heroic leader. The heroic yes. leader, which yeah. is great. That's the visionary. You want that visionary. But the management team has to appreciate that and be able to grow that as well. So what you're saying, David, if I can summarize that just in one thought here, that the, the owner, the heroic leader, as you, we just returned, needs to make sure in his process that that's being transferred. He doesn't. He needs to take his ego and set it aside and say, okay, uh, in order for this to the baton to be passed with me, the, you know, the guy, the heroic leader, running as hard as he is, 
and the, the guy that's receiving it running in harder there, they've got to kind of let their egos settle back inside. That's a great point, Jim. And keep things going. It's, it's got to be about the people and the company and not about the individual. Right. And, you know, I see this in my practice. I know you've coached me through this, is being a good delegator. Now, being a good delegator doesn't mean you give tasks. It you means just you pass it, on. Right. That's right. You pass on responsibility as right. well. And I know in, in past history, I've run into this frustration where uh, I was given a job to do, but not given the responsibility necessary to carry it out. And so, boy, it's it can be tough on that heroic leader to pass that off. But done successfully, a buyer's going to look at that, and he sees a good profitable transition. Well, I think that's a great point, Mac. I mean, you, you know, just the, the thought of the whole idea of passing the baton, staying the deal. And at some point in time, David, what, what you kind of said is when you finish, when this guy has decided, okay, I've passed it on to the buyer, to whomever's doing this, the leadership team, uh, if you're passing the baton, you don't keep running beside the guy that you've passed the baton to. You'll get disqualified for that. That's a great you point. You actually stop. Go to the infield and cheer the last runner, the next runner, all that's around exactly the, right. the track. And that's kind of what you're saying about doing that. From that you know, I think one thing also, kind of back to the management team issue, is if you know if I'm if, if a buyer's coming in and he's he's buying this business, he's looking for the management team. But if that is one or two people, ergo the, potentially the owner, and that owner plans on leaving soon after the sale of the business, then that buyer is going to be concerned. Uh, that that it it may not continue like it was before. Again, heroic leader, but again, the the baton has to be passed. Now, I do want to mention this: is once you find that management team, how do you keep them? And that in itself is a whole different line of thinking. Uh, and we can talk about that some more. So. Well, you know, maybe let's do that the next time we have you on. Yeah. You've done a great job today. If you've been listening to us, we've been talking about a succession, a successful transition, Mac of a. A business owner to another, you know, the group, the management team, or the sell of a business, whether it be a dental practice or a machine shop, it doesn't make any difference. Absolutely, I, I think just to just to recap a couple of those points, the the business owner continues to run hard through the transition. He That's gets good. his management team and successors up and running just as hard, and then there is a successful That's transfer cool. of the baton. There you go. That's a good point. And then the, the guy that did the transfer has got to get out of the picture Correct. and get to the infield and, and cheer and, the team And become on. the cheerleader. And yep. I think that that in itself is also very hard for that heroic leader Absolutely. to do. But in order to, to see the success of that next group of owners running that practice. I think it's got to be done. Well, it's a great point. Well, if you just tuned in, we've been talking with David Rochester, one of our senior planners in the office. We've been talking about business transition and some value propositions that you need to think about. Just stay with us because we're going to come back after we take a weather break. I mean, we got some weather coming through we, Memphis. I just heard I just heard some rumblings. It's coming I again. Mean, it is coming through the city, so stay with us because when we come back, we're going to be talking with Tal Goldsby coming in from Nashville, our Nashville office. We're going to talk about retirement and how to save enough. we got a retirement quiz for him coming up. Stay with us. We'll be right back after this.
You're listening to Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Just search for Shoemaker Financial. And welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. And just to remind you, we are under a severe thunderstorm watch. So uh, be careful. Drive careful. And as we said earlier, Mac, don't text and drive. Especially in the rain. Especially in the rain. We have with us Tal Goldsby, speaking of driving. And Tal, we hadn't really planned on having you on this morning. We appreciate you coming straight on to the radio station and uh, being a part. We don't get to see your face much. You're in Nashville. You work hard up there. Tal, of course, is, you know, Mac might say that he's our managing director, runs the office in Nashville. And, Tal, we appreciate you being with us this morning. Awesome. I appreciate this weather you guys are having for me Yeah, thanks for bringing it, <laughs> yeah. I guess. You know, could then we blame it on Tal? That's we, a yes, good idea. yes, we certainly can. That's right. a good it comes idea. from Arkansas. Let's blame but, Arkansas. Yeah, well, that's true. It is flying <laughs> from Arkansas. But, Tal, I wanted to talk with you because one of the things, one of the questions that we get, we get a lot of questions, and anybody wants to send us a question, just simply send it to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. It's talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. But, Tal, we got a question yesterday, and I and I kind of want to throw this out to you and uh, see if we can't maybe you know pick up some thoughts, because it, the question was basically around retirement, and it's, you know, what thought, and you'd think that everybody knows this question, knows the answer, but it was shocking that people don't. What's the percentage of gross salary, including my employer contributions, that I am allowed to put aside to you know save in my retirement plan, the four hundred one k plan? People ask me all the time, you know, how much should I be saving? And you know, I hate generic kind of blanket statements out there, but the rule of thumb in the industry is that you need to be uh, setting aside fifteen percent mm. of whatever you make. So if you make a hundred thousand dollars a year. You need to be setting aside $15,000 a year to go towards retirement. You know, and that's something that used to, long time ago, not long time ago, just a few years back, people would say 10%. 10%. Yeah. That, that's always been the, the standard answer for sure. And now we see that changing. Uh, it's at least 15% of your gross salary, and that's yeah. a big deal. The companies you know, that people are working for have shifted more of that responsibility onto the worker to save for themselves. and. Mainly where that comes is a, a lot less people are participating in pensions. And um, so now they're having to take it upon themselves to set aside those extra dollars in order to fund those later years during retirement. Let's talk about that for just a second, because you're right. This person's simply asking that question. I I guess they were a little bit older and they had been saving money. But a lot of people, if we look to this baby boom generation that's in their, in their 60s, they may have had a pension plan and may have worked long enough so now they're looking, I've got a guaranteed pension coming in. But to that younger generation, we've watched, and just in my career, I've watched pensions just go away. No, absolutely. I mean, not only are millennials dealing with having to pay off all these student loans yep. that uh, we have, but we also don't have companies that we go to work for pitching in as much as they were in the past for pension plans. So, um, you know, we do. that's why I say we don't want to make a blanket statement. You may have a pension and not need to save 15%, right, right. but... Um, the that's, rule of thumb. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a general rule of thumb. Yeah, and it used to be 10, and now it's 15. But, you know, let me ask you this question, I guess, and I, and I think about this sometimes. If you're younger than 50, back to your millennial mindset that you mentioned, and, and uh, what's the maximum amount that they can contribute today, if you think about that? I guess looking at it this way, what's the maximum I can put in a 401k? Yeah, the, the maximum that they'll allow your contributions to be is $18,000. So, um, you know, now once you're max and your age, 
50 and older, <laughs> you can put in an extra $6,000. No, thank you. Know, you know, I can take that. The, you not the fact that we were just lumped together is a little disappointing. <laughs> a, you know, I mean, we're close. Actually, but. I look, you know, the sad thing about it is he referred to the fact of my age. You and I were the same, and then that means you look old. Exactly. I, I think he was, it was a compliment to you. I'm going to take it the opposite way, but Tal, we'll uh, we'll talk about that later. But he said eighteen thousand dollars, and if you're my age, what's the amount? Twenty four thousand. You can put in an extra six thousand dollars. Okay. They call it the catch up provision. Okay. Basically, allows you in those latter years, right before you get ready to retire, to put a little extra money in it. And that program. starts at age fifty. Fifty. Yeah. So, all right, let's make sure we get this down because this person I think is asking the question: How much should I save? And we've said a rule of thumb today is about 15%, and I get that. And if we're going to walk through that process, they need to be saying that on a, on a very disciplined way. We talked about the millennial, and a lot of people say, well, I can't save 15%. So just get started. Just yeah. start doing something and grow into that 15%. Yeah, it's, it's always best to start somewhere. So if you can't save the 15 start at 5 and work your way work up. Work your way up. But if you're going to maximize your 401k, Tal, you said they can save. Give me the number again. Uh, it's eighteen thousand. Eighteen thousand, mm-hmm. and that's the max. If they're over fifty, they can do twenty-four thousand. A total of twenty-four. Another six, and that's called a catch-up provision. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense, and I think that's good for people to know. And so, I think when what we think about is how we go through that process from that standpoint. So, again, let's make sure that we get all that down. It's eighteen thousand plus the six. If a person, I guess, well, I tell you what, let me ask the question, and then we'll come back after the break and answer it. But if a person's employer, okay, is offering the traditional 401k and they also are offering a Roth, I want to know, I hadn't thought about this, because I know a lot of people ask this question. We got this question a couple of weeks ago, and we answered it, but I want you to answer it since we're talking about it. If I've got a 401k and they also offer a Roth, can I do both? So when we come back, that's the question that I want us to answer. If I got a 401k plan and a Roth 401k, can I do both or do I have to make a choice? That's the question. If you just tuned in, I'm Jim Shoemaker along with Mac Jenkins. We're talking with Tal Goldsby, and he has, has fought the weather and the storm and the snow and the sleet and the ice and the wind, and he's with us in his studios. He's come in from Nashville. We're glad to have him here. We don't see him that much. He works very hard for us in Nashville. And uh, he's a part of that big office up there for us. And we thank you so much for being here, Tal. We'll be back with him in just a minute because we got a great question. So stay with us. Uh, this is Talk Money on KWAM 990. You're listening to Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Just search for Shoemaker Financial. Talk Money will return after this. History is never totally free of myth and legend, and this is certainly true of Hernando de Soto. It is commonly said that de Soto discovered the Mississippi River on May 8, 1541, somewhere near the city of Memphis. There are several problems with this. To begin with, we really aren't sure exactly where along the Mississippi River this occurred. European geographers and cartographers already knew about the existence of the Mississippi River, so Hernando de Soto did not really discover the river. It is also important to remember that Native American tribes in the vicinity had been navigating the river for centuries. 
Still, DeSoto and his traveling soldiers were extremely significant because they were the first Europeans to venture that far north and east into the North American continent. Today, there is a park in Memphis called DeSoto Park to mark the legendary discovery. Although a monument states that he stood there to see the river, we will never know if this ever actually happened. This has been another Mid-South History Moment brought to you by Shoemaker Financial. Helping you make the most of your money. This is Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. And now, once again, here's your host for Talk Money, Jim Shoemaker. And welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker along with Mac Jenkins. want to remind everybody we're under a severe sun thunderstorm watch here in Shelby County, Tipton County, and also in uh, DeSoto County. So be careful, drive careful, and uh, stay out of harm's way if you can, and just uh, be sensitive. No texting, and uh, just listen to the radio. Don't make a phone call. This is severe thunderstorm warnings here in Shelby County. All right, um, I got Tal Goldsby with us. He's from our Nashville office. And Tal, we, we had a question, and the question came up about, you know, just the simple idea behind what percentage of my gross salary. You answered that, and we've kind of started this dialogue. I like the dialogue. I appreciate you participating with us today. But one of the questions, I guess, that I'm thinking about, if I intend to retire at 65, 66, somewhere in that range, um how much money, I guess, What? how much money should a person plan on having at retirement? And I, I'm thinking this person's question, so kind of adding to that question, should there be a number that they should have out there? What do you talk to your clients about? Well, I mean, a- absolutely. I think that, every again, it's one of those rule of thumbs, but you, you always want to plan to have about 10 times whatever you were making an annual salary before you retired in savings. So just easy math, if I'm making $100,000 a year, I need to have a million dollars set aside in order to fund my retirement. Uh, And basically that money will help supplement my lifestyle above Social Security or other small income sources. Now that rule of thumb has a a percentage, now that you mentioned that, I hadn't Mm -hmm. thought about that rule of thumb, but I know that has a percentage with it somewhere around 6%, 5.5%, 6%, 6%, some of the, but you've got to add Social Security to that too, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, and the 6%, you know, I mean, I think especially the last couple of years, that number's been challenged yeah. a little bit because, you know, we can you depend on making 6% on your money? Right. Especially if you shifted more to a little bit more conservative uh As you model. move towards retirement. So, so I know in the office, we will always talk to a person about it using only 4%, Mac. Yeah. And in fact, the 4%, and that's just a test, real hard test for them. It is. I, th- I think the 4% is certainly safer. It protects you in the down markets a little bit better instead of that 6%. If you can, if you can stress your retirement plan and earn 4% and still have a comfortable retirement, chances are your comfortable income, chances are you're going to have a comfortable retirement. Absolutely. And, you know, and that's why I say all the time, you never want to necessarily always go by just the rule of thumbs. You really need to sit down and do an analysis of your situation. We have lots of clients, and not a single one of them are the same. That's a good point. That's a good point. Another thing, we too, is inflation. If you talk about inflation and you're using inflation, you need to you know, use a reasonable number. I've had people to say, well, we haven't had inflation for five years, so why should I use a number? Because we're going to have inflation over a 20, 30, 40-year period. So don't be naive. Think about it. And uh, we, you need to plan for that, you know, that severe problem that you might have with inflation. Absolutely, that's critical. Yep. That's very important. All right. Well, I got another question for you. I'm just thinking through this whole process here. Uh, I hadn't thought about this idea, but I'm thinking if I am at 
65. And, and how long, since you mentioned this managing it, how long should I be re- think about living? Am I going to be out there for a long time? Am I going to? Uh, I know I just got back from uh, from a meeting that I attended where a gerontologist talked about some pretty strong statistics. Uh, shocked me, actually. And so talk to me about that. Well, you know, I think that um, obviously your health will dictate a lot of this, but the statistics are that if, if you're a 60-year-old couple, so a husband and wife that's made it to 60, you know, you have a 50% chance of making one of the spouses making it to 91. Well, I know which that is in my house. Yeah. I was going to say, I hope Amy lives a long time. <laughs> I, hope, I, hope I hope I've provided her well to enjoy what she's doing at 90. You know, that's not even, you know, and I know that's, we're taking a little tongue in cheek there, mm-hmm. but the reality is, uh, men, people are living longer. Men do not live as long as women Correct. do. And so most of the cases we're talking about would be a 91 year old widow. And uh, we need to think through that process. Well, how are you protecting the family for that? Absolutely. And I think, a lot, you know, 30, 40 years ago, Social Security, all those things were, were good programs because people weren't living until their 90s. We're seeing numbers now where, there, where people are supposed to be living into their hundreds pretty easily. Down Absolutely. The road. In fact, I just saw this gerontologist that I was talking with this past uh, this past Monday, actually, in this meeting, talked about that if you're 10 years old today, mortality they're projecting. And again, this is what she's reading, and I didn't I didn't back this up and go look at it. But she's saying it's over 110. So a 10 year old, 110. Right. Uh, major, and she's talking about cost of of health care. Uh, any idea on what health care costs? Any idea on uh, thoughts? And, yeah. uh, you know, as far as I know, people people talk about that all the time and the demands for health care. I know I know uh, a couple years ago in 2012, Fidelity put out a report that said a, a 65 year old couple would spend basically a quarter of a million dollars on health care alone during wow. retirement. I mean, that's a that's a big chunk of money. You know, that you mentioned that she actually mentioned that by 2020. Well, that's a great point. She actually mentioned that by 2020, that number you said well, you said a quarter of a million. Mm-hmm. Uh, she actually, I think, mentioned a half a million dollars. Well, I'm sure it's going up. Yeah. I, mean, uh, I, I know that, uh, you know, people are spending about one out of every five dollars on health care today. So, I mean, that's increasing all the time. And so you got to think that down the road, especially for, uh, you know, if you're in your 30s right now, there's no telling what health care could cost especially if you look at living to 110. You know, you, Mac, that's a, so many times I know when we're planning with people, we've got to sit down and talk to them. You, you talked about inflation. We've talked about a, a rule of thumb number, 10 times your annual income. If it's $50,000 of annual income, 10 times would be a half a million. Uh, you know, I guess it's a, people have to do some planning. People have to think about that. I mean, it's not easy. Absolutely. Again, in that Fidelity study, the the average healthcare cost was only second to food that people or retirees are spending their money on, so that's a huge expense, and that, that's critical. That's critical. So let me ask you this question, then. I, I guess from that standpoint of thought, um, you mentioned Social Security, Tal, yep. earlier. If I did, I know we talk about that on here on the show a lot with uh, Kurt Zarnowski when we have him on the program. But I'm thinking for our listeners, I want them to know this. If I delay Social Security, if I'm 66 and I file and suspend as we talk, how about you telling our listeners how much money are they going to be increasing their their amount? What's the percentage? Yeah, absolutely. I think people are surprised by this number a lot, that um, a lot of times people aren't expecting it to go up 8% every year. So every year that you, you suspend and don't take Social Security, 
it goes up to by 8%. Now, they cap it. So once you get to 70, you don't get any more of those increases. So, so bottom line is at 70, you probably should take your money. After, it's not going to increase anymore by by waiting to 71. So, uh, But 8% is a big deal. I mean, that's a that's a big, a lot of money that you'll get for the rest of your life. If you, by waiting one Absolutely. Year. Now, one of the thoughts are that you need to think about, though, you're right. They don't add to it, but you do get that mindset of a, the cost of living increase. Right. So that's about two percent every year. So mm-hmm. that's a big number. It's, for a, it's lot of a people. big number. If you can delay it, you certainly, again, going through a, a financial analysis, which would be in your best interest on an individual basis. But if you can delay it. It certainly pays you more in the end. No question about it. Well, if you just tuned in, we just happened to have Tal Goldsby in the studios for the second half of the program. Mac, you and I had a whole thought process we were going to talk about. I'm glad he's in the studio. Absolutely. That's great. I'm glad he's here. We've got a couple of meetings just this afternoon. Just remind him, too, what he said earlier. No, that, will, that did not fall on deaf ears. No, I'm sure that you will take care of that later. Well, again, you just tuned in. It's uh, Jim Shoemaker and Mac Jenkins. Tal Gosby is our guest, and we're talking about retirement. We're going to come back. We've got a couple of more questions about some of the issues that you have. When do you start moving your portfolio? I just thought about this, Tal. When do you start moving that portfolio to a more conservative portfolio? That's going to be our question when we come back. We're also going to invite David Rochester back into the studios, and we're going to cover some things about Social Security. We've got to check the weather out. We are under severe warning, severe thunderstorm warning, so you stay tuned. Stay to listening to KWAM 990. You're listening to Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. Investments in commodities and natural resources involve heightened risk due to leveraging and speculative investment practices, lack of periodic valuation requirements, and potentially complex tax structures. Helping you make the most of your money, Talk Money will return right after this. Take a second and think about the three most important goals or priorities in your life right now. At Shoemaker Financial, their team of qualified and experienced financial professionals is committed to helping you achieve these goals or priorities. From insurance needs to college funding, retirement, or estate planning, Shoemaker Financial is here to help you accomplish your long-term financial objectives. To learn more, visit ShoemakerFinancial.com or contact them at 901-757-5757. At Shoemaker Financial, it's not just the plan, it's the results. Helping you make the most of your money. This is Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. And now, once again, here's your host for Talk Money, Jim Shoemaker. Well, welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker along with Mac Jenkins. We're talking with Tal Goldsby. Tal, you know, one of the questions we, we get a lot, and I mentioned this earlier, is the idea between the Roth 401k and the regular 401k. If you've got that, what do you do? Tell me about that. Yeah, a lot of people think, you know, the Roth 401k is a new new option that came out about 10 years ago, and a lot of people think they can double dip, that they can put both 23000 or $18,000 into their each of them. The problem is you can only... Um, put $18,000 if you're under 50 into the combination of both of them. So you can't put uh, 18000 into both a Roth 401k and a traditional 401k. You get, you could do nine in each if you wanted to. Oh, I was planning on putting 48, so well, you just busted my bubble there. Well, you know, he's already done <laughs> yeah. that twice. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I hope he enjoys walking home. <laughs> yeah, you know, from that standpoint. David, welcome back to the program. David's come back into the studios, and we're, yeah, he's stuck because it's raining so hard. But, uh, David, I want to ask you a question. One of the thoughts that we had talked about just before we went to break, and the, the idea was if a person's retiring and headed towards retirement, the idea would be that he's got to, you know, get real conservative with his portfolio. 
How do you deal with that with your with your clients? I mean, so much we get that question a ton. If I'm 35, 45, when do you begin to say, all right, you've been pretty aggressive. Now you need to get really conservative. Do you tell them that they have to just drop to a conservative, 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 or do you take them down gradually? No, Jim, it's a process. You know, We have some great tools at our office and, and in our industry that we use to help guide the client because you're right. A lot of clients think, well, as soon as I hit 65, I've got to be prepared to take all my money out. And as we've talked about during this program, that may be another 30 years that you're going to spend this money. So you have to be prepared to still grow that money. Inflation's not going to go away. We need to stay ahead of inflation. And if you take the mentality, we're just going to bury it in the ground in case the economy fails, you're going to put yourself in trouble. You've got to continue to grow it. So uh, when you use the term conservative, I think that's a really more of a, a mental aspect. Uh, do we need to have a mixture of investments? Yes. Do we need to be diversified? Yes. But do, do we need to put it all in something paying a low fixed rate of return? Typically, the answer is going to be no. Well, that makes a lot of sense. I think for a lot of people, I appreciate you guys kind of guiding this through. It started with one question. You know, one question of how much money should I set aside and the whole idea, we said the rule of thumb was it used to be 10%, but now it's 15%. Tal, I appreciate you being willing to kind of guide us through this whole, it kind of, we led into some other discussion, but I think it was a good, healthy discussion. Thanks, David, for joining us again and, and coming you, back. Mac, Social Security plays an important part to everybody's retirement plan. Absolutely, Jim. Just uh, a num- from a number standpoint, an average a working couple in America that turned 65 in 2015 is projected to receive $427,000 in Medicare benefits uh, over their lifetime, more than three times the 141 they paid in Medicare taxes. Wow. Wow. That's, during their working that's amazing. Years. You know, I know Medicare Part A, that's the trust fund that, you know, this, this, as of in July, the Medicare Part A trust fund, that's the hospital insurance now. For everybody, Part A, hospital, Part B is the doctor is projected to be depleted by 2030. And that's a that that's a rude awakening for a lot of people when you think about it. If it goes to 2030, the long term, it's a 75-year present value shortfall in the trust fund could be corrected if they just did a, a, a 68 percentage point, at 68 basis point increase in the combined Medicare payroll taxes. That's uh, going from its current 2.9 to about 3.58%. And immediately you get a fifteen, you know, that as or or they could do it a fifteen percent reduction in the payment. But the reality is, I guarantee you, they're not going to reduce. They're it. not going to reduce it. They're going to add it to the taxes. Sure. And I, I think they have to. I mean, if you look at twenty thirty, that's not that far into the future. Well, you know, for our listening audience, they need to understand we've got a history of doing that. If you go back and look at disability in nineteen ninety four, it was projected to run out the disability payment. They tweaked it a little bit. They actually took money. From the retirement benefit, push it over, and that's how, so they've managed this for a long time. Correct. This is this is not something that they're not prepared for. It's just a matter of getting it done. Well, I think one of the thoughts is that trustees they announced in uh, July of this past year, July the twenty second, actually, that the trust fund back in the payment of Social Security benefits, that's the retirement benefits, would be zero in twenty thirty five. Now that's a that's a pretty strong announcement, if you think about it. Yeah, absolutely. uh, A zero trust fund does not mean now that they're not going to be able to make payments. They're not going to go to zero as far as payments are concerned, but rather would drop it by 77% or drop to 77%, I'm sorry, drop to 77% of the original promised levels. 
And again, they're not going to do that. No, they'll make the changes. They'll make the changes. They'll adjust it. They, 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 they tweak it. They do all those things like that that just happen. We know that. That's the way it takes place. Well, if you just tuned in, I'm Jim Shoemaker, and we are so glad you've been a part of the program with us today. It's been a rough day for weather, but uh, thank you for being there. I want to remind everybody, we've got a halftime report that's going to take place on August the 18th in the office at 1130 to 1 o'clock. You want to be there because it's a look at the market and what's going on. Next week, I'm going to talk to Chris Seaball. He's going to give us a halftime report. And it's been good to have Art uh, Frederick is out on vacation today. So John McCummon has been our substitute producer, and he's done a wonderful job for us, and I want to thank him for that. Again, everybody knows that um, guest and content coordination, Francis Fortner. Eleanor Moskovitz is our production assistant. Mac Jenkins has been my co-host today. Mid-South History Moments, read by Rebecca Brazier and written by Drew Johnson. Uh, We appreciate David and Tal being with us today. I'm Jim Shoemaker, and we're here every Friday. We're here for one purpose, and that's to help you make the most of your money. Jim Shoemaker, Mac Jenkins, David Rochester, and Tal Goldsby are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services Incorporated, securities dealer member FINRA SIPC. A registered investment advisor, Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated.